We are now in our second session entitled Unstoppable Joy series in the book of Philippians with the theme that we are looking at living as disciples in a world of uncertainties. I don't know what are the situations you are facing today. I don't know what are the burdens or temptations that you are facing. I don't know what trials you are going through. I don't know whether you are going through discouragements. I don't even know if this pandemic has affected you in any way, altered your life, so that you are living in a troubled state. There are times in our lives where there seems to be no reason for joy. As we look at this series of studies in the book of Philippians, my prayer is that we would understand that there are enough reasons to have this unstoppable joy in the midst of uncertainties. Now, if you look at the history of the Philippian church, you would notice that maybe surface-wise, you would see there's absolutely nothing to rejoice. The church was under attack. The church was disunified. There were people fighting among themselves in the church. The church was weakened by false teaching. There were false teachers who had crept in. Now you may say in this particular scenario, okay, how can we have joy? How can we have joy? And that is the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he's basically bringing this thought to our minds that no matter what is going on in our life, no matter how severe the things are that we are facing, we still have reason to rejoice because of who we are in Christ and because of the fact that our citizenship is not here on earth, but is in heaven. So that's the basic theme for why we have to be joyful. Okay, four words, if you were to say, can summarize the teachings of the book of Philippians. Four words. The first word is joy. Joy. These four words will also sustain us when we go through these uncertain times. Joy. Twenty times Paul uses this word joy in this book. Twenty times. In other words, as a believer, Joy should be the central thought in our lives. Joy should be the motivational factor in our lives. Sickness should not rob us of our joy. Financial problems should not rob us of our joy. A person's rejection of us should not rob us of our joy because our joy is not rooted in created things. Our joy is rooted in who we are in Christ. And that's an unshakable truth. So even if the whole world shakes around us, even if the whole world is living in uncertain times, we can still have joy in the midst of the uncertain times because our roots are in something that is certain, something that is unshakable, even Christ Jesus. The second word that will sustain us during these uncertain times is the word fellowship. Fellowship. Because of what Christ has done for us, the scripture teaches us that we have now fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God as well as fellowship with 
one another. In other words, we have a relationship. In uncertain times, there's always a tendency to feel alone. There's always a tendency to feel depressed. But the word here that will sustain us is fellowship. We have a relationship with God. We can come to God at any time. We have relationship with our brothers and sisters in the family of God on whom we can lean on to find support in uncertain times. Third important word that Paul uses is the word citizenship. The word citizenship. We are not just citizens here on earth. Technically, our citizenship doesn't even belong here because we are not permanent dwellers here. Our permanent residency is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. So even if these uncertain times would lead us to death, no problem. Citizenship is still there in heaven. And that should sustain us because we are not going to be the losers. We are actually going to be the gainers because we have the citizenship in heaven. And the fourth important word that Paul uses is in Christ, in Christ. All these things, the joy, the fellowship, and the citizenship happens to us or is given to us or enables us to sustain ourselves during these uncertain times because of who we are in Christ, in Christ. In other words, this is not generated by ourselves. It is primarily there because of who we are in Christ, because of our response to what Christ has done for us on the cross, the relationship that we share with him, we can have this certainty. So as we read these four chapters, Paul tells us in many different ways that while we cannot control what happens to us, we do have control, total control, in fact, regarding how we respond to that. Tragedy will definitely strike us. Our children may die, or our loved ones may die, or you know, people may tell bad things about us, or there may be tensions and problems in our marriages. Problems would come in, but there's nothing to be done about all this because it's an ongoing consequence of the fallen world that we live in. But we do have a choice regarding how we respond to these tragedies, how we respond to these heartaches of life. And this is what this book is all about. This is what this book is all about. So if in case, whatever situation you may have gone through or going through, let this book be an encouragement for each one of us that we can have unstoppable joy even in the midst of these tough, uncertain times. Okay, So let's get into the passage, chapter 1, this evening. And look, first of all, a glimpse into Paul's heart as a disciple. A glimpse into Paul's heart as a disciple. The heart of the letter begins in verse 3 of chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2 is the introduction where Paul introduces himself along with uh, Timothy and greets the church at Philippi. And from verse 3, Paul begins to write this letter until verse 8. In other words, from verse 3 to verse 8, it is a whole paragraph of Paul's thanksgiving for the church at Philippi. Paul's thanksgiving for the church at Philippi. So verse 3 and to 5 speaks, first of all, 
about his heart of thanksgiving. His heart of thanksgiving. Starts off saying what? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I remember we started out saying, church at Philippi, everything was not fine with them. They were going through troubles. They were going through persecutions. But what does Paul start off by saying? He starts off by saying, I thank God for you. He expresses his gratitude for them. In other words, Paul chooses to focus on the positive. Chooses to focus on the positive. And that's the first part of how we can go through the uncertain times. It is always easy to focus on the negative. Focus on what is not happening. But Paul starts off in his thanksgiving prayer and saying, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Ask yourself, even this evening, this question, can you thank God for people who are troubling you? Can you thank God for the situation that you are in that God has allowed you to come into? Can you begin to see the hand of God working through the individual, working through those situations for a purpose? That's what Paul is saying. He says, when I think of you guys, he says, my heart is full of thanks because God is at work. So that should be the attitude, the heart of us as well, when we are going to be people who are victorious in these uncertain times. It is easy to look at the negative and be you know, upset. It is easy to look at the negative and be depressed. But it is definitely possible for us to look at the negative, to look at what is happening, and still see the positive, the fact that God is still in charge, and give thanks to God for that. It's a simple illustration. When we are beginning to focus on the good in people, when we are going to focus on the good that God is doing in our lives, rather than the negative, our attitudes will definitely change, isn't it? That's why the songwriter says, in our count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has done. Begin to focus on the positive. Thank God. Thank God. Then he also says he thanks God for their fellowship, their partnership in the gospel. He thanks God for them as an individual. Then he also thanks God for what they have done for the gospel. And that's the key thought again. During the adverse times, during the persecution times, the Philippian church did not give up either their love for Paul or their love for the Lord. They continued to be involved in act, active fellowship. Active fellowship primarily means that they were involved in serving. They were involved in service to God in the kingdom. So that's his first heart. When he looks at the situation around him, he says, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the church at Philippi. I thank you for what they are going through. I thank you for what you are doing through their lives. And that should be our response as well. Second attitude that he has in verse 6 is confidence. Confidence. This is the confidence that he has in God. I'm sure we are very familiar with this verse. We have 
quoted this verse, memorized this verse, which says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is Paul's attitude. He has total confidence. God, you have started this work and you are going to continue to do it. You're going to preserve me. Okay? He says, yes, these are uncertain times. I'm wondering whether I will survive. But Paul's confidence lay in the truth that God has started it. God will definitely fulfill it. Philippians 1.6 teaches us that we will be preserved to the end because God will always persevere. What God has started, he will always finish. It's not a question of our perseverance. It's a question of God's preservation of us. God's persevering. He has started, he will do it. And that's the confidence. That's the confidence. He says, God has started. It is an initiative that God takes. He begins the work. The last session, we looked at how we are called by God. It is God who has called us. It is not we who made a decision. It is not we who decided to follow. God took the initiative. So God has taken that initiative. He has called us. And this is the confidence that Paul has. Okay, these may be uncertain times. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know that he has started it. He will definitely fulfill it. So God has started the work. He says God is also taking the responsibility to complete the work, complete the work. So right now we are in the intermediary state. The starting has happened. The finishing has not yet happened. And in order to do a finishing, there's a lot of rough ends that has to be chipped off, isn't it? Between the starting of the product and the finishing of the product, there's a lot of things that goes on. There are a lot of chipping off that has to take place. And that's what God is doing. So he may be taking you through those uncertain times, through those tough times, to do that chipping off. Be confident in that. Be confident that he has not abandoned you. Be confident that he is in the finishing process. He has started it. He will definitely finish it. What is incomplete will be made complete. What is unfinished will be finished. What is lacking will be made full. What is partial will be made whole. What is less than enough will be far more than adequate. What is broken will be fixed. What is hurt will be healed. What is weak will be made strong. And what is temporary will be made permanent. God has promised this. And if he promises, he is not a person who lies, isn't it? He has started the good work. He will definitely finish it. So the first attitude is an attitude of thanksgiving. The second attitude when you face these uncertain times is an attitude of confidence. It's not left up to me to somehow survive, but it is up to God. He is going to keep me. He is going to preserve me. Thirdly, he speaks about his affection for the church at Philippi, verses 7 and 8. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying over here, look here, 
there's a bonding between you and me. There's a bonding between you and me. He says, I'm committed to you. He says, I have you in my heart. That's speaking about his personal commitment. Then he's also speaking about the ministry that they've shared together. He says, all of you share in God's grace with me. And he also calls upon God to bear witness where he says, God can testify how I long for all of you. And the affection that Paul has for the church in Philippi, the bonding that they have is primarily because of their relationship with God. And those who know Jesus are joined in a spiritual bond that runs deeper than any human tie. So how can you go through these uncertain times? Give thanks to God that he is in control. Be confident that he has started, he will finish it. And be also thankful that God has given us a family, a family on whom we can count on. And this is the time when you're going through tough times, you will know who your family really is. You will know who you can really depend upon, trust in. And as we ended the first session saying, keep in touch with individuals, make use of opportunities and give them a call to spend time with them, like Paul sent Epaphroditus and Timothy to visit them. Make sure you do that so that the bonding is definitely much more stronger. Yes, there is a bonding that takes place when we meet physically, but there's also bonding. You remember here, Paul is in prison, the church is in Philippi, but still the bonding was there. So even though there may not be a physical meeting, the affection can still run strong. And it is this type of the affection that would also be noticed by the world around and say, hey, see how they love one another. And that is what will take you through the uncertain times. That's what took Paul through the uncertain times. And that's what will also take us through. So we have an invitation, an invitation for real joy in this book. As we go through chapter by chapter, the invitation that comes along strong is don't give up on life. Don't think it is over. Don't say these are tough times. Don't say, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Give thanks to God that he is in control. You too can still have joy overflowing, joy unstoppable even during these times. Now, if anyone had reason to be angry, it surely would have been Paul. Why? Because here he was in jail. He was in chains. He was on trial for his life. He was physically weak. He was under attack even from people from within the church who now distrusted him because now he was behind bars. Okay? So if there was anyone who was reason to be angry, it would have been Paul. If anyone had reason to be angry with God, again, it would have been Paul. Think for a moment, after all that Paul has gone through, persecutor of the gospel, came to know Christ, now served him faithfully in all those missionary journeys. Now he is lying in prison. What's the use? You know, he may say, God, there's no use of me anymore. Take my life. Paul did not say that, isn't it? If there was any reason for anyone to be angry, it was Paul. Yet he speaks of joy. He speaks of thanksgiving. He speaks of gratitude. He speaks of confidence and the deep affection he felt for the Philippian Christians. Although his circumstances were not ideal, he refused to let his circumstance 
dictate his emotions. And by God's grace, he chose to rise above his circumstances. He refused to let the circumstance dictate his emotions. I don't know what you're going through right now, but do not allow your circumstance to dictate how you feel. Choose by the grace of God to rise above, to rise above the circumstances. If I were to ask you a question this evening, which is harder, to be in prison or to be out of prison? Now, most will say it is harder to be in prison and easier to be out of prison, isn't it? But not really so. You know? The correct answer would say it depends on your attitude. You can be behind bars like Paul over here and still have a temperament of joy. On the other hand, you can be a free person in that sense, not be behind bars, but still have a temperament of sorrow, bitterness, and despair, isn't it? Why? Because it's your attitude that makes the difference. So joy does not depend on your circumstances. Joy depends on your relationship with Jesus. So if you don't have joy in these uncertain times, don't blame the circumstances for it. The circumstances have nothing to do with it. It's your attitude that makes the difference. You need the source of joy that does not change, which is an eternal perspective that comes from knowing Jesus. I'm sure you're familiar with the acronym J-O-Y. J stands for Jesus. Y stands for yourself, which is last, and O in the middle stands for others. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. So when we put Jesus first in our lives, then we can have joy, joy which will go beyond the circumstances, in spite of the uncertain times as well. Then, after having set that pace of the attitude that Paul has in the midst of these uncertain times, from verses 9 to 11, he prays for the church at Philippi. And from his prayer, we can also learn how to pray during these uncertain times. How to pray during these uncertain times. If I were to ask you this evening to rate your prayer life, okay, A, being excellent, B, being above average, C, being average, D, being below average, and E, being I need big help in my prayer life. What grading would you give in? Would you say it's excellent? Would you say it's above average? Or would you say so-so average or below average? Or would you say I definitely need big help? Now, I'm sure most of us will agree that we can all do with some help in our prayer lives because prayer is the easiest and also the hardest discipline of the Christian life. Anyone can pray, isn't it? Anyone can pray. But it is also the hardest discipline because it is difficult to maintain the attitude over a long period of time. But in this prayer that Paul prays, he gives us some uh, blueprint on how we can pray, on what we can pray during these uncertain times. Three requests Paul mentions and three requests that God will always honor. The first one is abounding love abounding love. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Okay. So during uncertain times, he's saying, Lord, I'm praying 
for myself, for others around me, that their love will overflow, that their love would overflow. During uncertain times, you can think about yourself rather than others. But when you start praying for others, when you pray that your love would reach out to others, others' loves will reach out to them, that becomes a prayer that God will definitely honor. Imagine an empty cup that is slowly being filled with water. And when the water reaches the brim, what will happen? It will begin to overflow down the sides of the cup. And that's the imagery that Paul is using over here. He says, Lord, let the love fill the hearts of the Philippians until it overflows, until it overflows. And that's a good prayer to pray, which God will answer. Lord, here is a situation. Here's a person who's causing the trouble. Here's a person who's the reason for these uncertain times. Lord, my love for you during these times of uncertainty is not very strong, Lord. Help me to have an overflowing love. And that's a prayer that God will definitely answer. Paul is praying that their love would increase in depth as well as in extent. Okay? Paul is praying that God would help them to love more people and would help them to love them in a greater way. Now, the Bible is not very clear or very specific on who we should be love or the love for what, but we can definitely put all three categories, an abounding love towards God, abounding love towards fellow believers, and also an abounding love for people who do not know the Lord. So. He starts off with the prayer of love. Lord, fill my hearts with love for this world which is living in so much of uncertainty. When they are going around in circles, they don't know where to go. Lord, give me love for them that they may be able to know you as their Savior. Lord, when I think of myself going through these uncertain times and when I have questions whether you really love me, Lord, Lord, help me to have that overflowing love for you. Lord, when I think about individuals who are within the church who are fighting, who are causing troubles, and as a result, these more uncertain times are coming about the future, Lord, I pray that there would be abounding love for one another. And that's a prayer that God will always answer, abounding love. Secondly, a growing knowledge, a growing knowledge. He's speaking about, Lord, that the love overflow in knowledge and in insight, in knowledge and in insight. Paul's prayer continues with a request that the Philippians might grow in their knowledge of God, in their knowledge of God. The word that is used here for knowledge means a knowledge that is based on a deep, personal, and intimate relationship. So Paul is really saying here is, Lord, let the love express itself in an intimate knowledge of who you really are. While love is supreme, it is not enough. It has to be guided by a true knowledge. And where do we find this knowledge? We find this knowledge from the Word of God. And that's what Paul is praying. Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open to the truth in your Word so that the love in their hearts would be in the right direction, so that they would overflow in love for one another. Lord, let them have that right knowledge that in their intimate walk with God so that in the midst of uncertain times, they would know you're still there. 
they will know you're still in control. Where do we get this assurance? Dig into the word. So Paul's prayer is, Lord, help them to study your word. Help them to grow in your word. And that should be a prayer for us and for our loved ones as well. Thirdly, he's saying, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So that there will be an increasing discernment, to discern what is best. The message translation puts it this way. It says, you need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. He's saying, Lord, let it be sure that it's not just an emotional wish was that I'm living in, but let there be a genuineness. Another translation says that you may learn to prize what is of value. Lord, help me to understand in these uncertain times what is the real thing that is certain and valuable. The New English Bible speaks of this as the gift of true discrimination. And uh, NLT offers this translation. I want you to understand what really matters. What really matters. And this is Paul's prayer. Lord, during this time of uncertainties, help me to understand what really matters. That's an important prayer, isn't it? Because we can put our hand in so many things which doesn't really matter, which is of not real of any importance whatsoever. And in these uncertain times, it is good to be discerning, to make wise choices, to make wise choices. Wise choices actually comprises of two parts. First of all, to know what the choices are, to know what is right. And secondly, to have the courage to choose what is right. So what Paul is saying is, Lord, this is my prayer. My prayer for myself, my prayer for the church. You know, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to make wise decisions in these uncertain times. Help me to think you know, and see that which is important. Help me to you know, check up what really matters. Would you make that prayer during these days? I'm sure when you're thinking about the future, during the pandemic of two years, a lot of shifts have taken place. You know? I'm sure you've evaluated your priorities. And it's a good prayer to make. Lord, help me in these uncertain times to check up what really matters and make the wise decisions in my life. Next, we look at three things that we should always seek for during these uncertain times. Paul prayer, Paul's prayer continues now with three answers we should always seek. And these answers are actually results that flow from the three requests that we have just mentioned of love, knowledge, and discernment. The first one is a blameless life, a blameless life. In verse 10, he says that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Two key words in this phrase, pure and blameless. The word pure comes from two other words that means judgment and sunlight. Judgment and sunlight. In the first century, the shops were often dimly lit, which meant that the prospective customers would have trouble viewing their wares, what they were buying. So they used to take the pottery or the fabric into the sunlight so that they could see what it really was. The sunlight revealed the truth. Even in today's time, people do that, isn't it? If there's not much light, in the shop or sometimes there is other type of lighting, not sunlight. 
they will take the fabric outside to see it in the sunlight to check up what is the real color of this particular material, the purity, if you were to say. And that is what the sunlight reveals the truth. To be pure means to live in such a way that the truth about who we are is very clear. It means that people don't have to wonder about, you know, doing or knowing what you are doing in the darkness because you have nothing to hide. There is nothing to hide. It's all out in the open. That's the word for purity. The word for blameless comes from the Greek word scandalon, from which we get the English word scandal. It referred to the bait in a trap that would catch unsuspecting animals. And it came to mean a lifestyle that caused others to fall into sin. So a blameless person is free from any scandal. It means that you don't stumble into sin and you don't cause others also to stumble by your behavior. That's what a pure and a blameless life is all about. So during this pandemic time, during these uncertain times, this is a life that we should be seeking for. Lord, let my light be a light to people in this dark world. Let my life not be a stumbling block for anyone. Let my life be a light to lead people in the right direction. The second thing that we should seek for is a fruitful life. A fruitful life. Verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. A fruitful life is definitely characteristic, distinctive of a Christian, isn't it? You know, you remember the old statement which was used many years ago, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? For being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In other words, what's your fruit? Does your fruit show that you really are a Christian? Now remember, this fruit is coming through Jesus Christ. As we are rooted deeply in Him, we are able to draw our strength from Him. He is the root and His power in us produces the fruit. So that's the second thing that we should always seek for. Lord, during these times of uncertainty, let my life bear fruit. How is my life going to bear fruit? It's because of the roots that I have in you. Lord, help me to make sure that my roots are deep in you so that the fruit would be automatically produced in me, which would show that I am rooted in you. Thirdly, a life that glorifies God. A life that glorifies God, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. To the praise and glory of God. In other words, be seeking for is Lord, when people look at my life, let them give you the glory. Let them not say, what a great guy he is, you know, what a great woman she is, you know. Let them not give praise to us, but let all glory and honor go to you and you alone. Ask yourself this evening this question, does your life serve as a good advertisement for Jesus? Does it serve as a good advertisement for Jesus? Let's put all this prayer together now. It starts off with an abounding love for God and for His people. Then it manifests itself in knowledge and discernment so that we would know the truth, knowledge of His Word, and we can make right choices 
in life, which would enable us to make the right choices under pressure. And then there will be the fruit in our lives, a fruit that would show forth our relationship to him so that God alone would get the glory. And we can use this prayer for ourselves. We can use this prayer for others. During these uncertain times, when we have so many questions about the future, we can use this prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Philippi, for our own lives, so that in the midst of all these situations, our focus is strong upon God. In the midst of these uncertain times, our roots are deep in God and His Word. With the unshakable truth in us, we will have the unstoppable joy overflowing through us. Okay? Then in verses 12 to 18, verses 12 to 18, Paul speaks about the good things during the uncertain times. The good things during the uncertain times. And I've captured this with the title as keep your eye on the Meduvada and not on the whole. Or if you have you know, a preference for the donut rather than the Meduvada, keep your eye on that donut you know, and not on the whole. When you're looking at the donut or a Meduvada, if you notice it has two parts, isn't it? The fried dough, that is the outside, and the hole in the middle. Now you have a choice. You have a choice, isn't it? Where you're going to put your eyes on. When hard times comes, either you can put your eye on the hole and say, hey, why is there a hole in this water? You know, what did I miss out? What was here in this hole? Or you can look at the fried batter all around and give thanks to God for that. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. What is going to attract your attention? Either you can focus on what you have got or you can focus on what you lack or what you don't have. And your perspective in the times of these uncertain times, times of difficulty, will make all the difference, will make all the difference. And in these verses now, Paul is showing us four perspectives on adversity that will help us to keep our focus on what we have and not on what we don't have. The focus that he gives us is that uncertain times opens new doors for the gospel. Uncertain times opens new doors for the gospel. In verse 12 and 13, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, the word that is used here for advanced is a military term okay, that refers to the movement of an army into enemy territory. As the soldiers move forward, they clear the obstacles, they open up the roads, they drain off all the swamps, and, uh, and they build the bridges so that the whole army can advance unhindered. So what Paul is saying over here is, my imprisonment, you know, which seemed to be a setback, actually has served to advance the gospel, open up new doors for the gospel. What a perspective. Sitting in prison, he's saying, thank God that I'm in jail. You know? Thank God for uncertain times. Thank God for what I have gone through. Thank God for what I'm going through. Why? Because it is opening up new doors for the gospel. Do you really believe that? Or are you looking only at your life and saying, poor me, poor me, poor me? 
Or are you looking at how what you're going through is going to be an advancement for the gospel? Keep your eye on the proper stuff. Don't keep your eye on what you don't have. Keep your eye on what you do have. Think for a moment about the long chain of events that led to this moment of Paul being in prison. It started in Acts 21 when he went to Jerusalem to make an offering in the temple. Okay, And people said that he had brought a Gentile into the sacred presence. That led to a mob scene where Paul was severely beaten and would have been murdered if the authorities had not stepped in and arrested him. Eventually, he was sent to Caesarea to stand trial as a Roman citizen. There he was held without bail for two years, and he narrowly avoided being murdered by a group of 40 cutthroats who vowed to not to eat or drink till they had killed him. Meanwhile, he gave his testimony to Felix, the Roman governor, who listened attentively and then kept Paul in confinement, hoping for a bribe. Still later, he testified in chains before King Agrippa. Eventually, he was put on a boat with other prisoners and sent to Rome. All these incidents are before Hannah landing up here. But the boat never made it, foundering and eventually sinking during a violent storm on the Mediterranean Sea. Paul and other survivors were washed up on the shores of Malta, where a serpent came out of the fire and bit him. Finally, he was brought in chains to Rome, where he was kept under house arrest for two years, awaiting trial before Caesar. And that's why he's writing this particular episode. So he's looking back, a flashback on all that happened, how he landed up here under house arrest, the events that have happened before, and he's looking back and saying, God, I thank you that all those things gave a furtherance for the gospel. What a perspective, isn't it? He says, all that happened to me, all that happened to me had a purpose. Can you say that? this evening, whatever negative things have happened in your life, whatever tough situations have happened in your life, whatever uncertain things have happened in your life, whatever has happened to you has served for a purpose to advance the gospel. Do you really believe that God is in charge of everything that happens to us, both good and the bad, the positive and the negative? In some ways, we don't understand that he orders all things, that he orders all things. Belief in a sovereign God is easy when things are going well, when our health is good, when our family is together, when our careers are going forward, when there's enough money maybe to pay our, all our bills, when there's you know, friends who love us and everything is coming up very fine. But certainly different when your health is bad. When your loved ones die, when your marriage fails, you know, when your family is blown apart, when you've lost your job, when your friends have turned against you. In those times to say, I believe in God's providence. I believe that all that has happened to me is for a purpose, for the advancement of the gospel, that God has something good behind all this. To have that attitude is something which is difficult. But he has to do don't look at what has not happened. Look at how it has happened. And Paul looks at this. You know, he says, all that happened right till this time, it has happened for the advancement of the gospel. How did it help? How did it, uh, uh, it help in the advancement of the gospel? Paul in Rome was being guarded by members of the Elite Praetorian Guards. 
these highly trained soldiers served as a cross between the secret service for the Caesars and the army special forces. It was created by Caesar Augustus some 70 years earlier, and the Praetorian Guard numbered around 9,000 in Paul's day. They were paid double the normal wages and served for 12 years, after which most of them retired in and around Rome. And over time, they became a very powerful political force, putting forth nominees even for the Roman Senate. Now, what is God doing? God wanted to reach these high elite Praetorian guards. So what did he do? He took the best man that was available, that was Paul, and had him unjustly arrested, sent to Rome, where he was put in jail, chained to a member of the Praetorian guards 24 hours a day. And these guards were chained, were changed rather, every six hours. This meant that Paul had a new audience four times a day, 28 times a week, and over 2,900 times in two years. In the Praetorian Guard, was he able to reach? Do you think it was worth it all? You will say it was worth it all. But when Paul was going through it, he has that attitude. I don't know, Lord, how you're going to use this, but you have a purpose. And he says, all that happened to me, now that I'm chained between these Praetorian guards, is for a purpose, I see it. And I'm going to make best use of that purpose to advance the gospel. And I'm sure he was not talking about the weather with these guards. He was sharing the gospel with them. So much so, at the end of the, the letter, he sends greetings to people of the household of Caesar, basically meaning that these Praetorian guards have come to know the Lord, and he sends a greeting to them. Now, we don't see the big picture. We don't see the big picture. We only see the small. We only see the whole. We don't see the rest of the thing. But God says, look at the big picture. Uncertain times opens new doors for the gospel. Sometimes God may put you into chains or into uncertain times so that you can reach more people than you can ever do in other times. I'm sure Paul did not enjoy his stay in prison. I'm sure Paul did not enjoy his experience, but in the midst of this experience, he saw, God, you have a purpose, and in this, he could rejoice. Are you able to rejoice in what you're going through? Knowing that God has a purpose, keep your eye on what God is doing, and make use of the opportunities that God is giving to you, even during these uncertain times, to see the hand of God, to help in the advancement of the gospel. Secondly, uncertain times encourage bold witness. They encourage bold witness. Verse 14 says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Courage is contagious. They saw Paul was in prison, but they could not you know, keep his mouth shut, even though his you know, hands were chained. His mouth was open. He was sharing the gospel freely. So the Philippian church who was being persecuted outside, they say, how can we keep our mouth shut when our hands are not chained? And they began to share the gospel also. That's what it says. Because of my chains, most of the believers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously, more fearlessly. Oftentimes we say, once the circumstance changed, once the situations change, 
then I will talk about God. No, no. We don't have to talk about God and be a witness for him when things have become good for us. No, no. Through the tough times, to affirm our faith in God. That's the bold witness that God is calling us to do. The uncertain times encourages us to speak boldly for the sake of what God is in our lives. And that becomes a testimony. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Baget Abednego, when they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, the bold witness was what? Our God is able to deliver. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down because this is the God whom we believe in. Thirdly, uncertain times reveals our true friends. Reveals our true friends. Verses 15 and to 17, it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. This would have been definitely in a disheartening for Paul. Yes, they were preaching the gospel, yes, you know, but they were making use of the trouble that Paul was going through and climbing up on that trouble, you know, on Paul's shoulders as it were, so that they can boast of themselves as being true witnesses. Now, that is bad, isn't it? To put down Paul and saying, look at what Paul is doing. He's suffering in prison for not being a genuine witness. Look at what God is doing to him. He's punishing him. But we are the ones who are the true gospel and we are preaching it. They would have said different, different things in a very convincing way. And people would have listened. Now we are living in an age of the WhatsApp university where rumors can spread so very easily. People do that. People suffer. But which will show who your true friends really are. No doubt it would have broken Paul's heart to know that some of his brothers were using his prison time against him. But those who your true friends really are. It is during these uncertain times that you will find out which friends are fair weather friends and which friends are true friends. Which friends say we will pray for you and which friends friends actually pray for you? Which friends will help you in your time of need or which friends will only say and talk and do nothing? Uncertain times reveals our true friends. Fourthly, uncertain times also proves our ultimate values, our ultimate values. What is Paul's value? Verse 18 says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Yes, there were people who were misusing Paul's suffering for their own ends, but they were still preaching the gospel. So he says, no problem. You know, I'm happy. I'm going to rejoice because he's saying, you know, his concern is purely for the gospel. This is how Paul felt. In the end, whether his fellow believers loved him or hated him didn't matter as long as the gospel was preached. And this is an amazing attitude when you consider how easy it is to be bitter against those who mistreat you. How easy it is to get angry and strike back. How natural it is to attack them. But what was Paul's attitude that gave him that unstoppable joy? His value system. What is important to him? His, what is important to him was not what's happening to him. 
what is important to him was the gospel. As long as the gospel is going forth, as long as God's name is being glorified, go ahead, Lord, whichever way you want to. That is the attitude that God wants us to have. And when we have this attitude, when we have this attitude, recognizing God, you have a purpose for whatever is coming my way, whatever you have allowed to come my way. And as a result, I won't focus my eyes on the whole, but I would focus my eyes on the outside, the wholeness of what is there that you have planned for me. If you and I have this attitude during these uncertain times, recognizing that God has a hidden purpose in what he allows, that he has a hidden purpose. Remember, we can't see the big picture. We don't know the end of it, but we know that there's something hidden behind this, Lord, so we trust you then we will find that we will have unstoppable joy. If we see an embroidery in a, in a product, you'll find on the backside, the, the threads will all be crisscross haywire, and you'll see what a jumble, what a mess up. But if you turn, you'll find all the beauty of the embroidery. And that is what the focus we must have. Look at what God is able to do and what he is doing. Don't look at all the uncertain messing up of all the threads. Trust God that he has his best in store for you. Trust God that he is in control. Trust God that he is fulfilling his purpose in your life. Now, which is the life that wins during these uncertain times? In Philippians 1, 19 to 26, the success formula. His success formula basically is this. For me to live is Christ. To live is Christ. That is his basic success formula. If you notice, everyone or anyone in this world who wants to achieve something in life, he has a formula. This is what I want to achieve. Some people may say, I want to, for me to live is to be the CEO. For me to live is to have this big car. For me to live in a living big would be to have a big mansion. Living big would be to have this type of a salary. And a living big would be to see the world in all its pomp and glory. No, whatever. People have their, their images of a success statement. But for Paul, his image was, for me to live, is Christ. I ask you this evening, how would you complete this sentence? For me to live is what? Okay. The purpose of your living. What is the purpose of your living? Is your purpose of the living for a position? for popularity, for pleasure, for wealth, for comfort. Is that your purpose of living? If that's your purpose of living during these uncertain times, all that will go off. Then you'll have no purpose left. But if your purpose of living is for me to live is Christ. If everything is all taken away, uncertain times, you lose everything. If your purpose is Christ and Christ alone, you will still have unstoppable joy. This is what Paul is mentioning in verses 18 onwards. First of all, we read about Paul's confidence. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life 
or by death, whether by life or by death. This is the confidence that Paul is having. He says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm awaiting trial before Caesar. You know, he says, in this scenario, I will still continue to rejoice. I may be released, I may get out of jail, or I may die. You know, that's okay, he says, that's okay, because I still have the confidence. I have the confidence that God is at work. Look at the last part of that phrase. He says, whether by life or by death. And this is the key to his amazing success. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid to die. Same thing, that I'm not afraid to die. Certain times, many people worry about the future. Many people worry about what will happen to them and how they will die. Okay. And because of this, the fear can grip them. Death is definitely the greatest, biggest fear that people can have. But, pray to die, what happens? You have the confidence, isn't it? You have the confidence. Now, look at the positive results of losing your fear of death. When you say, I'm not afraid to die, you are free to focus on the things that really matter. You are indifferent to your own personal fate. You are utterly consumed with doing God's will. When you are not, not afraid to die, then you begin to focus on things that really matter. You are not worried about your life. You begin to think about others. And you begin to concentrate on doing the will of God. Once you decide that your life won't last forever, you are free to invest it in a cause that is greater than yourself. You give up what you can't keep, so that in the end, you can gain what you can never lose. That was a statement of Jim Elliot, isn't it? He and his friends, when they went to the Yukador, to these cannibals, you know, they gave their lives for what they believed was right. They were not willing to die. And because of that, because of that, the impact that they made in that area itself, the same individuals who killed them, came to know the Lord, and they also even baptized one of the missionaries' uh, sons, who then continued to be there as a missionary. God has his amazing plans. God has his amazing plans. But we need to be willing to say, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And if we have this focus, that even if I die, no problem, of dying. That's the confidence that will take us through uncertain times. Alexander McLaren gave us the following answers for how death can be a gain for anyone. He says, first of all, we lose everything we don't need. We lose the world, the flesh, and the devil. We lose our trials, our troubles, our tears, our fears, and our weaknesses. He says, we lose all this, you know, and as a result, that's a gain for us. Secondly, we keep everything that matters. We keep our personality, our identity, our knowledge, and all that is good. And we gain that which we never had before. We gain heaven. We gain heaven, the angels, the saints, the presence of God, and Jesus himself. We are going to be gainers. So, do you fear death? You shouldn't be if you are a Christian. Because death is the vehicle that takes us home to God. This assurance that you don't fear death, then you too can have this confidence. Secondly, we speak about his uh, 
confession. His confession was in verse 22. We covered that where he says, to die is gain. The confidence for me to live is Christ. The confession is to die is gain. And we looked at if a person, if a believer dies, what does he stand to gain? And thirdly, his conflict. In these two scenarios, there's a conflict. In verse 22 and 23, he says, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Which is better by far. Some people want to die because they hate this life. But Paul was willing to die because he looked forward for life in heaven with Christ. Ask yourself, what are you looking forward for? A lot of people don't want to leave this world because they say, oh, I don't want to leave this world. I don't want to die. But they also want to go to heaven. But are you looking forward for heaven? If this is the conflict that you are having and if you are looking forward for heaven, then you would be able to live for Christ here. Then you would be live, able to live for Christ here. Only those individuals for whom they are able to say, for me to die is gain, only those individuals will be able to live for Christ here on earth. And fourthly, Paul speaks about his conviction. He speaks about conviction. He says, even if I have to continue here, he says, it is for your sake. It is for your sake. He says, there are three benefits. If I die, there's a benefit that I'll be in heaven. But if I'm going to continue the living here, then I have this conviction. He says he would experience Christ in his life. He would be able to have his fruitful labor among the church at Philippi. He would help them to you know, grow spiritually. So what Paul is saying here is, either way, I don't lose. Either way, I don't lose. So when you go through uncertain times, you, know, you can definitely say, it is worth it all if I have the right attitude, if I have the right attitude. If I'm looking forward for heaven, then I have an eternal perspective, things of this world I don't get caught up with. If I'm living for God here on earth, then I'm making sure that every day that God gives to me, I'm using it for his glory. So in conclusion, as an application, every day, let's learn to do what God is calling us to do. Let's trust God for tomorrow. And death, when it comes, will be definitely a great gain for us. When all is said and done, there is only two philosophies of life. Either you can say with the Apostle Paul, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or you can say with the world, to me to live is self and to die is loss. What would your choice be? Let's bow our heads and pray together.